Martha's wearing grandma glasses. She put them on for me because she knows what I'm into. Big, yeah. like, I guess, what, what is it, tortoise or cheetah? What is that? Like, what's the pattern? I'd say it's tortoise. I'd say it's tortoise. tortoise. I don't know why they call that shit tortoise. Like, what does that have to do with a fucking tortoise? I don't know. Tortoise shell does not look like this. Not at all. But, yeah, I thought about it a lot, Sean. I thought, <laughs> what should I wear? from shoulders up yeah but uh i you know you nailed it so i appreciate it my um my girlfriend when i was uh actually like we know each other uh, for a while so like my my girlfriend when i probably first talked to you wore glasses like that and she sort of like that was my first like gay girlfriend which now like i exclusively date homosexual women like if you're not gay i'm not interested <laughs> oh god you're like me with gay men. <laughs> she was like she was like my entree into it maybe because she wasn't really gay like she didn't have sex with women she didn't do that part of the gayness she was just like all the gay and like not actually gay ways like the like she and her she okay man repeller is like her best friend and she was like the inspiration for man repeller so she would wear my clothes and like that was Uh the first like everyone thought we were like gay friends and like i was gay and she was gay and then it was like the big reveal was that like we were both just normal and like stupid and like not (laughs) not interesting and just yeah but she was wonderful. And then I graduated to dating actually gay people. Which oh, yeah. is what's a heartbreak. Yeah. Well, no, no, it's never been that's never been the heartbreak. You've had wow. you've dated men who are who have like gone to guys over you or what? No, they'll never date me. They just want men. <laughs> oh, you want them and they won't go for it. I am solely attracted to gay men. Okay. I mean, I'm solely attracted to gay women. I just, like, they generally... Let me think. No, I've definitely had... Oh, I can think of one right now. Yeah. Who, like... It, we just had to, like, agree to disagree on it. And I was like, nah. I was like, I get it. It's fine. Like, she was just actually gay. And... That's okay. That's a nice letdown, I think. Yeah, it was. No, it was like that's that's cool. Like, like we like made out once. I was psyched about it, and I, and then it was just like, but that didn't mean more. That that was. I was like, okay, like you're you're still super cool. Like it's fine. <laughs> so what's up over there? You oh my god, you've got a beach behind you. Like this, it's it's pretty. I got. I got a good setup. I mean, but you're you're back in Australia, right? Yeah, I fled. I jumped ship. Good. I know. Although I miss America, but the America I miss doesn't exist anymore right now. Right. So, like, we were just talking about if I should go back, and it's like, why? You know, for what? You've been there for two months. Yeah, more. I'm going on. I'm like. I don't know, two and a half. Like, it'll be actually, it'll be three next week. Oh, wow. Beginning of Stay. March. I'm not leaving. I re upped. Is it, 
Is it chill over there? Super chill. Um, it's isolated. So everyone who's here has been here for a while. And now we're like, I had people over last night because like, like not a lot, but like seven people, yeah. you know, and yeah. I know each of them and they've all been here since March and like, yeah. we're all safe and we can, you know, we're, like so we're nice. good. So now it's like, uh, we're not like, you know, we have this like limited area. So we did a market today and it's like the same hundred people circulating now. And uh, there was like a little bit of a controversy this week because like the owners sort of like governor people, whatever of the area are like deciding they want money, you know? So they want to rent places. And we're like, you know, we just put months into this like super, like, you know, we just self-isolated for two months. And like, yeah. we just, we just started being able to like hang out with each other. Don't ruin that, please. You know, like, <laughs> yeah. Cause we're in this, we have one clinic, you know, with like no respirators, no tests or whatever. Like a li we have, we have like a little private clinic that's near okay. here. Like, um, it's crude. yeah, it's crude. Exactly. It's not like, actually, it's not going to help with COVID. It's just like regular, you know, if someone's got a cough, like I got some Robitussin for you. But, um, yeah. Like if one person brings in the virus, we're in really bad shape. So that was kind of, the, that was the thing. It was like, yo, just like forego, you know, a couple months of rentals, like just eat it like everyone else's and yeah. don't do that. Cause, cause, um, cause they can institute, you know, self quarantine kind of thing, kind of rules, but like, no one's going to like watch the house and make sure they don't leave. No one's, that's not how, you know, it's not like. So if they like go to the beach or go to the restaurant or something, and then like someone else goes five minutes later, like, we don't know. Yeah. So that's the issue. And, and that was like what I was, I spoke up a little bit and I was like, I'm enjoying this. Like if I see new faces around, I'm going to stay in my house and like not talk to anyone. And I don't want to go back to that. Like, it's nice. I like the people here. Sorry. Can the town afford it? So the place that I'm at is like, the reason I'm here right now is because no one else is renting. Like I'm the only like outsider here. Everyone else is an owner. Otherwise I could never afford to be here. It's super rich people. Like I'm okay. the poorest person here. <laughs> okay. So everyone here is very, all the homeowners are super wealthy. So they don't need it. That that's why I was like, "Come on, like you're just being assholes," you know? Like, okay, that's a different story. Yeah, it, it's it's if you're paying workers and stuff, but that's not what's going on. It's just profits that you're losing, you know? The workers are getting paid just fine. Like, I mean, well, they need more money. Yeah, as always. And the worst in people, you know, some people are really shining, and then right. other people just you're seeing them for what they are. It's a very interesting time. When did you leave Los Angeles? I left on the 9th of March, which was fucking oh. crazy because I wow. arrived. I like... arrived a bit earlier. Uh-huh. Yeah. Oh, actually, no, I didn't leave on the 9th. I left on the 18th. I think no, I arrived. I was going to say the 9th was like right when it was, it's, I left on the 10th. Yeah. So I think if I'm correct, I arrived on the 9th. So you I was there for eight days. In Los Angeles on the 9th. Yeah. Okay. Yes, yeah, so that was the week. That was the week when it all went down. Yeah, it was fucked. I yeah. could have 
if I'd just stayed in Australia a week longer, I would have known what was going on. But I was moving right. house. I was just about to start like a, you know. You were mid-campaign. I was mid-campaign on my first record. It was so yeah. So, so Martha is Benafi and I, we've actually known each other for a long time. Originally, like I'd say, you know, I don't know, 2011, 2012, uh, around then a publicist that we both knew just like turned me on to, I was doing more label and DJ and booking stuff at the time. And I was just, I was like more like in the world and talking to people and listening to new things and stuff compared to now where I'm just like, you know, I'd rather listen to a Nick Cave record from 15 years ago. <laughs> but then was I was... Oh, in the world. Sorry? You, you had your finger on every pulse. It was At that time. Easy. Oh, I was so cool. Oh, my God. I know. You, you had a real cool moment. I was so I cool. I'm waiting. I was... No, you're cool right now. It's got, it got I paused, but... I heard nothing. Like, you know like, so, so much. Oh, no, I, I know you do. Nah, you're super like, you're more like pulsed up than I am, like way more. Like, you know, all the people you like your Rolodex of like collaborators and like, you're, you're really on it. And, and I know that like, you've had hiccups and that sucks, but, uh, you know, Jeff and I were talking about like how, you know, your momentum and that sucks, but no, you're super like, um, well, well, here, let me just go back for a second. Like, so, so, you know, we connected a while ago on her first single, which had a great self-made video, you and your sister, Ninja, like a long time ago, right? That was, yeah. was that the first one? Yeah. Um, and, and I really liked it. Um, and we just stayed in touch. Like there was nothing really to do back then. It was like early days. Um, and you were still kind of like figuring out what you wanted to, to do and be and say and make, you know? And um, we were just, yeah, it was kind of just like, cool. Like, we, you know, and then we just stayed in touch yeah. always. And, uh, then you moved to Los Angeles and I remember you like, you know, you came by the pool one day. I forget like what that would have been like 2015. Around, yeah. Probably. Maybe 2016. You had 2016? that West Hollywood. Yeah. I was in West Hollywood. Um, and then like Martha just got like when you moved to LA sometime, I, I don't know how uh, soon before you, you can, you can tell me you can fill this in obviously, but um you there came a time you know and and continuing now where you just got super plugged in like to the whole all the exciting like not just la producers songwriters scene like um but you know the international like um you just yeah i don't know what and i'm interested because we haven't talked about it really uh but like there, there something changed for you because i noticed like first of all, you just, um, you changed, like you stepped into, you started expressing yourself differently. Like the way that you dress, the way that you look, like you just, you, you, things changed and, and it was cool. And then all of a sudden I just like started noticing that your affiliations are just like wildly different. And they're like a who's who of like the hottest, you know, just the cool, not, not just like names, you know, like people come to LA and they get into the, they go fuck, they get some publisher and they end up with like, all the fucking producers and it's garbage but now people who like i admire the most you know like sophie is producing on your record and uh you know and eves and and charlie and people like that really really cool so um you know that worked for you 
and then leading up to now where like you put your record out it got great press and then the fucking covid hit but <laughs> so let's go backwards and we can talk through all these <laughs> all these stages in more yeah. more fleshed out i don't know but yeah so what happened for you between finding yourself in los angeles and all of a sudden being with all the coolest people um it was interesting i moved to la not knowing a fucking soul apart from um i i knew uh a girl called hayden dunham who plays as um cutie she's changing it yeah but yeah um who i'd met so jeff who was on the episode that i recorded two hours ago that will go up probably i don't know but uh manages her yeah manages her um so yeah i i knew i knew hayden and sophie because we'd done this tour together in australia called laneway and i thought that was super cool i didn't know that much about their work at that time i mean i'd heard blip um sophie's ep and mm-hmm. of course fucking loved it and i knew the hey cutie track but that was about it um but yeah i moved literally just not knowing anyone that's all you need and... to hear by the way those tracks are like the future still oh they're still the future and yeah. they're like what yeah. maybe like seven years old now yeah. they're super old i wrote about if you read the article that i put out i wrote about my first listen to those two songs and I remember like turning it off, like when it, that was in my day when I was super cool and I was getting everything. And uh, that was pre numbers. <laughs> and someone sent me this artist, you know, nothing on it. And it was like these two, these two, you know, they were like audio samples. They didn't even sound like songs. And I was like, what the fuck is this shit? You know, turned it off. Yeah. And then I rethought it because the agent who sent it is a super cool guy and uh, Ollie Isaacs. And um, I was like, wait. <laughs> let me listen to this and then i listened again knowing that ali isaacs sent this to me and i was like oh my i called him back and i i think i said i was like this is this is the future isn't it and it is still (laughs) it still is it's incredible i mean to be honest i still love blip the most out of all of sophie's work i think it's incredible um Yeah, I moved and I knew them and they sort of like just took me under their wing, which was so nice. I had a really rough time when I first moved because I didn't know anyone. I was um, living in like Craigslist houses. So I moved like five or six times in six weeks. Just Fuck, I had a guest room. Why didn't you just, did we ever talk about this? No, but I was also really bad at reaching out. I still yeah. am. Like, Because I, I never did so fuck all for you. Like, you know, I'm like a bad favor person. Um, yeah, you know, I had it. Yeah. I, just, I felt like out, this. Whatever. Yeah. But I did that and Hayden and Soph like had me to stay a lot and sort of introduced me to a lot of the people I know, really. Um, that's how I met Caroline Polacek through Hayden. Yeah. That's how I met AG and um, a bunch of the people who I really admire. Um, but to be honest, I think the way that I found my place in LA was just by like constantly being like the 
the least LA person there. <laughs> okay. I I have. What does that mean to you? Put my foot in it. I have like foot in mouth disease really bad, <laughs> and I was constantly just like burning bridges and like fucking up. And it was a really good time for me because what it meant was like I cut all the assholes out, and like people saw me sort of flailing and were like, "Oh my god, this poor girl, she's like." really fucking this up she has no idea what it means to like network or be in the industry does she Good. um fuck that shit fuck the network yeah. la shit oh my god fucking Noise. works in favor, i tell you um it really works in my favor and it's you know been an awkward time but it's also been what really helped me i actually i, have no I argue idea. that the networking thing is you know it's it's a it's like the greatest trick the devil ever pulled kind of thing is making is convincing he doesn't exist. It's, it's like that kind of flipped that um, people somehow, someone somewhere convinced people that they needed to do this thing. And all it is, is just, it feeds the energy, the machine convinced you that you need to do it. And really you're just, you're, it's, it's like you're spinning wheels. It's revolting. Polarizing the machine. And it's nonsense, nonsense. Yeah. All those fucking tenants of the trees nights that people think they need Ooh. to be at. Oh my God. Ooh, I went there once. I've never been back. Really? Wow. That's I've good actually, for you. I mean, I, 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 no, it's a fun place. I just mean. LA spots, to be honest. <laughs> I've never been to Girl on the White Horse or whatever it's called. Same people, same owner. I've been to Friends once. Yeah. Maybe twice. I like friends. But all these places that I'm just like, it feels weird to go somewhere just to be seen. Yeah. I'm really bad in big groups as well. I hate people interrupting each other. I hate like... It's six or under. That's it. Yeah. I refuse. I can't do small talk. So yeah. someone talks to me like, how are you? And I'll be like, oh, you know, I'm good. Like, you know, I'm like two years out of rehab and I'm doing great. And they'll be like, whoa. <laughs> I have fucked up skin and like, I'll, I'll tell them like how it is today. You know, I'll be like, well, you know, I'm in the middle of a flare, but like, it's okay. Cause I haven't had dairy for a while. So like, you know, it's, it's, um, it's super dry, but like, you know, when I'm, when I'm busy and it's not that itchy, I'm okay. You know, it's good. How about you? Yeah. <laughs> but I just remembered, I think another thing that really helped me when I moved to LA was I moved into Moses Sumney's room uh -huh. away in that, in that house of seven rooms and whatever with Zach and all of yeah. them. That's crazy. House. Oh yeah, the the house of the moat and shit. Yeah, so the form founders and a lot of friends yeah. live there. Yeah. And so Zach I've been in Moses's room. I know that room. Yes, that was my bedroom for a long time. Then I Great. got, I would say promoted. Some would say demoted <laughs> to the laundry. <laughs> <laughs> but they were so kind to me because they knew, you know, I earn Australian dollars, so I essentially earn like half of what everyone. Oh earned, man. You know? So they halved my rent if I lived in the laundry, uh -huh. which I did for a really long time. And Zach um, Tetro, who people who don't know on this podcast, is like a, a really amazing booker who also played drums in 100 Waters. Um, and it's, it's Is that no more? Is 100 Waters no more? I think they're no more. Oh, that sucks. Okay. I know. Anyway. I mean, I don't want to be the one to announce it. But I believe Zach has a brilliant career beyond hundred waters, no matter what. So, yeah. you know, Zach is a business guy. And so Zach and Alex, 
um, Alex Hoffman, Hoffman. Who, who did um, form with Zach, they came to like a show of mine where I played to like 10 people. What venue? Um, at Soho House. Soho like, House. Oh, God. I boycott Soho House. It was, <laughs> it was so strange. And they How did that make you feel? Writer. I felt so embarrassed at that okay. show. I felt like a fish out of water. And they made me this special like ninja cocktail and I didn't drink and they kept trying to give me, you know, like alcohol and I like felt not really respecting awkward. your sensitivity. Yeah. I just felt like lame and like out of I just felt out of place. And I ended up like getting really wasted just because I was like trying to fit in. Yeah. And it was kind of like this horrible show for me. But I met a bunch of wonderful people and Zach and Alex stayed and we used up the entire rider. They invited <laughs> me to live with them. And Zach ended up like co-managing me for a while and just cool. really helped me get on my feet. Um, just purely off liking the show. And then they booked me for form. And I think it's cool. Like there's something cool in LA of like people not caring if you already have clout. Mm -hmm. Like... Seeing what fucking reviews I got, or if Pitchfork hated me or not, they were just like. Pitchfork gave a, a six point eight, which is really really good. <laughs> is it? I hated it. I I either wanted them to like give it a zero, yeah, or give it true. a good. Score. I mean, I'm like, no Fiona Apple, but. <laughs> I know they're like mm, she's not Fiona and she's not <laughs> Moses Sumney, but she's they a love Moses Sumney. Oh my god. Oh my god! Like, I know he's I, handsome, but you know, pardon me, but like, get off his dick, Jesus Christ! There's something. There's something going on there. Oh my god! Um, it's like uh, yeah. I'm honestly annoyed at Pitchfork's like continuous Moses Sumney writing. Like, I love Moses. Don't get me wrong. I am happiest in the world for him to succeed. But yo, Pitchfork, like, chill. Also, we get it. Don't just go behind the same artists again and again. Yeah. I'm sure Moses would agree. Moses would probably love a bad score on there just to feel like it was fucking being switched up, you know? The Fiona Apple stuff is cool because it's like once every five years. But Moses Sumney, it's like they flip out every time he breathes. And it's just like it's he's breathing – like he's putting tracks out all the time. And I get yeah. these like, you know, like Instagram – like dedicated fucking like like sponsored posts and in emails about like every single single he puts he puts out like you know pick your favorite and like write one really solid article a year like i've never seen it's so weird i've never seen pitchfork like embarrass themselves That's over an true. artist good for him like but jeez i know pitchfork I'm very confused about how I feel about Pitchfork these days. I, I generally like love them, but that was weird. It was bad. I mean, I think it's bad. I think it's boring. I don't I care like that they aim at 6.8. That's not why I'm annoyed. 6.8 <laughs> is good. No, 6.8 is good. I know it sounds shitty. It's like, you know, it's D plus, but like, <laughs> it's good. I don't, know. I don't really. Yeah, that's true. They yeah, liked your know. record. I hope they did. I, I predicted they'd like the transitions more than the tracks, and it was true. Transitions are good. They're artistic, and they reveal, you know, your 
your inner child. Like the transition. Um, dogs here. Yeah, please talk. Record. Can you hear me? I can like fit. You're like cutting in and out. I hear you okay. Is my Wi-Fi shitty, or is it the dogs? But it's not um, so shitty. This is off. I mean, I'm hearing everything that you're saying. Uh, Okay. If you don't hear me say something, just tell me, and I'll repeat myself. Okay, I will. Um, Okay, so you were. I mean, this all sounds. You know what? Go back into like, go deeper into the embarrassment of Soho House because I I'm very like. What I what I key in on with this kind of stuff is like people don't understand what it's like to put yourself out there for these platforms that exist that we're told are it are super important and it's a combination of like one is it you know does did you what rewards do you reap from it and while you're doing it the the, 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 there's an indifference that is just it's palpable and it's uh it's really like so, so you played for 10 people at soho house like you got booked by like why like how did that come about soho house west hollywood is like super hot spot you know exclusive agents are there you know like doing deals and producers and famous people and blah 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 and they have live music but like no one ever pays attention my manager booked it at the time i was with um a guy called justin kaderberg from vitalik noise i know Um, justin yes super lovely guy and i understand why he booked it for me but i think to explain what these sort of shows are like to people who've never done them the things that make you feel comfortable or that make me feel comfortable about playing on stage is you get to slip into a stage persona before you go on and then you get to leave and sort of take that off and then choose when you come out and speak to the people who've watched you. Mm-hmm. And the reason you're on a stage is that it, it gives you a shield. It gives you this protection and this sort of wall between you and the audience that makes you feel secure and like you, you have their attention and they respect you. And then when you play a show like Soho House, lol, I think I'm doing another Soho House like show at some point. <laughs> or it's just... <laughs> but when you play it like that, whatever. I've don't been say anything that you, you know, say whatever you feel like saying. Don't, don't, don't get yourself in trouble. Well, I don't think I'll get myself in trouble in this because I'm not playing another one of these shows again. This was a showcase show. So mm-hmm. this is very much like 10 to 20 people um, the lights are on, like in the room. There's no lighting. Yeah. Um, and it's in a very small room with like kind of like fancy looking couches. And everyone sits on a couch. Oh, is this in like the theater? Oh, no, I know what room you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, Okay, sorry. Go ahead. Way up top. I know it's what like you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, So essentially you have to sound check in front of people. There's nowhere to go before you play. So you're just standing around with your audience, um, pretending you're not nervous and pretending you don't 
need to like warm up or get a glass of water or whatever you might have as like a ritual before you go on stage. And then you're just playing in this room with full lighting, um, you know, no reverb, no anything that might make you feel protected in terms of how you sound. And you can see everyone's expression and no one smiles. People are just making notes like, can she make me money? How old is she? How many albums has she got in me? You know, could she do a fashion campaign? Like the amount of things you get asked us after the show make you realize like you're there to pitch a business decision for people. Um, And pretty much you play like a set, people barely even clap. And then at the end, there's nowhere to go. So you turn off your gear, pack it up in front of everyone. No (laughs) No one knows how to work your gear. So no one can help you. So they're just watching you pack up. And then you're expected to like schmooze. Um, And, you know, I'm very good at putting on a face and doing the schmoozing thing when I have to. But it wears me out. And I have to sleep for like three days after it. I'm not. Mm. I'm good at faking it. I'm. I'm actually don't enjoy it at all. Um, so that was like my first gig in LA. And that was like when I was, was like, your first. Okay. Wow. Uh, yeah. I was like, this is how the big fish roll. It's weird. <laughs> but you know, like, I guess coming from somewhere like Australia, you don't even know those things exist. I'd right. never played a showcase before. Um, I'd never spoken to execs of any kind in any industry about my music i just made it and like played in bars and clubs um the you know, i'm kind really- of responsible i'm kind of the the uh to blame for you being there because i put justin on at soho house back probably you know probably five years there before that like in new york and i don't know if i ever did la but uh i, I booked his, his people like early days in new york because I was booking Soho House at one point. I was I was like the first, like, in New York, I was like the first guy that they let me just like book music and throw parties at Soho House. It was it was always private before. Yeah. And then they let me, I was like, yeah. I was cool for a minute. And I was the one who like the exclusive places would let me do whatever I wanted. And Soho House was one of them. Yeah. And uh, I booked and I booked some of Justin's people. So that was his <laughs> original plug. But then that got you to Zach. There you and, go. You know, so it it got, I met a bunch of people. I also met like some video directors that I still keep in touch and I want to work with. I still meet people randomly um, in meetings and at festivals and stuff who were like, hey, I was at that Soho gig like four hmm. years ago or whatever. And I loved it. And let's keep in touch. And I'm like, what the fuck? I mean, that's like, the flip side of, of what, the reason you know, that I just that's flip side. Well, something just happened. Sorry. I don't know. Maybe Sorry. You, the reason <laughs> what? Like they have a reason and that becomes clear, you know, in the following months where you're like, uh-huh. Oh, these people are actually super useful and can help me out and whatever. But it, yeah, it does feel very strange at the start. It feels like begging. Yeah. I mean, there's a, <laughs> there's a flip to it where you're, you know, discomfort is also their discomfort. And it is just as difficult as it is for you to put on that face and exert that energy. It's also difficult for them to connect with you to know how to, you know, they get awkward and they're just like, they don't know what to do. And 
they have all the same issues as you do. And I'm not entirely like defending the situation because I fucking hate the situation. Um, I've like shifted my life around avoiding things like this and deconstructing them. But in defense, in small defense of it, just to contextualize like that conversation that perhaps you had a few years later of, Oh, I was at that show. It's like one of those people who was stone faced twiddling their thumbs or on their phone or something like that is also just awkward and like had a rough day that day, but did actually like get into your shit afterwards and just never really like communicated with you well. And then years later when they're maybe like, maybe they were like an assistant at the time and they were assigned by their boss. And then like three years later, you know, they have their own thing and they can just like walk in their shoes a little bit more. And then they speak to you and look you in the eye and they're composed. But at the time they were just beaten to a fucking pulp, you know? And like, it doesn't make it suck less to be that artist, but I don't know. It may be just like, delineates the path a little bit and in a way it's just like yo it sucks for a while like it's just no matter which part you're playing it sucks for a while and then it gets better and like that's it (laughs) and it's just like well one thing i learned from that which i actually still find quite entertaining though is that from those type of experiences what I learned was to treat it like a game and I'm mm-hmm. so competitive. I'm okay. like, you don't want to play like me. What, in a yeah. Game. What am I, what's my yeah. point of being here? Yeah. So I became like, I'm going to fucking charm you motherfuckers. And like, ah. I'm going to get you all <laughs> out of your, phone. I'm going to say hello to each one of you and you're going to end up doing something for me or I'm going to end <laughs> up doing something. For you, and it's going to be great. All right. And so I think that like, now I have a really different approach where I like put my game face on and instead of seeing it as demoralizing or like I'm lesser, I'm just like, I'm playing you. I'm in here Mm -hmm. like pretending that I'm like this pawn that you're fiddling around with. But like y'all are all here at like 5 PM on a Wednesday when you could be like out for drinks. Like I'm like, see it that way, play the game, get what you need. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I became it, very thick-skinned very quickly when I moved to LA. Man, After. LA is like it's a dark, it's a dark trap. It's I, I the way I, I I mean I haven't talked about it much lately because I I've been gone for a minute now. I removed myself specifically from LA, but it's where all the prom queens and you know all the cheerleaders and the football captains, you know all the popular kids go. Like all the ones in all the country in the world go to the same place like all the people the most special people who develop the fewest coping skills with rejection they all go to the same place and then all of a sudden they're up against each other and some remain the prom king and queen but most don't because you can't because the whole thing changes the balance shifts and then these people lack the skills and the experience to deal with ups and downs and that becomes an entire city just just you know magnify that by a city like like not whole thing giant place millions of people and just take all of them and these are the people least equipped to deal with these challenges and most challenged by these challenges in the entire world 
and just think about the disappointment that permeates the whole the whole town, every aspect. And yeah. there's dreams, there's 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 beauty in it, there's creativity, there's there's connection, there's there's love, there's so much, but there's nowhere in the world. And we're talking, you know, let's talk refugee camps and the most poverty stricken, you know, like the genocide, like, like go, go into like the worst places in the world. They don't have as much disappointment as Los Angeles does. Yikes. That is a big fucking statement. Right though. I mean, think about it. I mean, it is, I'll give you shittiness one thing. Is it shittiness is like, but. All of winners and losers. It's definitely full of win winners and losers uh -huh. and very few survive to be in between those two. Mm -hmm. um, but I also think one thing about LA that, you know, a lot of people don't realize when they move there and maybe, uh, you know, seeing majority of like the West side or just like Silver Lake and Echo Park, um, which are, you know, very sort of gentrified, parts yeah. of, of these different kinds is, of hats but both neighborhoods with people who wear hats yes exactly both both hat wearing neighborhoods yes. is the outer suburbs and downtown and this sort of underground party scene that is going mm -hmm. on there isn't asking for anything and it's sort of like this beautiful undercurrent just underneath all of that sort of triumph and tragedy yeah. that is continuous and just keeps going. And it's, you know, a lot of it is dominated by the queer community. Um, and it is such an accepting and forgiving environment to be in. And I think that's what caught me when I moved to LA. It's like cool. going to these parties and these exhibitions and, um, you know, just like meetings with, with people who really found that aspect of LA super boring yeah, um, and very superficial. And a, lo a lot of them had obviously like lived there forever mm -hmm. or moved there um, because they, they couldn't live in their hometown due to homophobia or what, whatever. And they're there as like chosen family. Um, they all live as, you know, this big accepting community that don't need anyone outside of it. And that is where I find like the most exciting stuff in LA. And that's what? how you get, and that's how people are, you know, like people like Doreen Electra, yeah. who's in LA has been living in share houses of like 12 people for really? a really long time, you know, literally living off like dollar tacos. And um, it was them and two other friends from film school who started doing Doreen Electra together. Uh-huh. Filmed all their videos for free for each other, helped mm. each other out. Lovely. And, you know, it's taken a lot longer, but it's those people that have these like long. Dorian Electra's got to be paying rent now by this point, right? Oh, yeah. Doing I mean, good now, right? Dor Dorian's doing amazing yeah, now. Okay. I would also imagine, and I would almost put my money on this, that no matter how well Dorian does, they'll probably always live in some sort of like super cheap <laughs> warehouse and like live off potatoes. That just might be the vibe, yeah. 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 Where Dorian's you... just a So like, what are the scenes? What are the venues? What are the areas? Like, what are those undergrounds? Like, where do you, 
find that excitement? Or is it just pop-ups wherever? There's a lot of pop-ups. I mean, to be honest, that pop-up scene, although it's like fun, also plays into the LA bullshit, you know, of like, you have to wait and get a text message that tells you an hour before whether, and I'm like, yeah, cool. Like, yeah. Cause I, I've been and I, I've been to those and I fucking hate them. I'm like, this is, you know, it's like, I'm at, it's like, I'm at a theme park version of, uh, of, of an underground yeah. warehouse party. Like, that, that stuff scares me a bit. I, I go sometimes and it's fun, but I'm thinking more of places like Naval, which is, I don't know. Uh, a warehouse downtown like predominantly queer run that gives scholarships to um i haven't been to la for like two three years now oh shit what i went like well i left for like almost two years period and then i like quietly went back twice in the last year to record but i like didn't tell anyone and i just like stayed in my friend's guest house and went to my friend's studio and that's it and like otherwise like saw a couple friends went to the movies and like was just there for three weeks super quiet recording a record and that's it i haven't like socialized in los angeles or like posted on instagram in los angeles in like like since yeah 2017 yeah i left in 2017 that's when i got rid of that apartment i haven't spoken to you in such a long time i forgot yeah you were living in new york for a while on the west side right yeah, on, on 15th and 6th. Did you ever come to my place there? I never did. It's cool. I'm getting rid of it, like, now. It's still there. Like, all my stuff is there. But I'm going to get rid of it. I don't, I'm just not going to have a home for a while. I'm just going to, like, be in the world again. I was in the world for, like, I'm a year. To... I'm going to do it again. Yeah. I, mean, I like it. Me. Yeah. You're good at disappearing. I'll give you that. Well, no, I'm coming back to the world now, but I'm going to like, I'm just going to like now the remote thing is just so like I was already on the remote tip for a minute and now it's just become like, it doesn't even like, it's not even a choice. So like having an apartment, like, like, a t like paying for a townhouse in New York in on 15th and 6th is just the stupidest thing in the world. Like there's no reason I'm not going to be DJing. I'm not going to be like taking meetings. Like I'm not going to be like raising money for anything like yo like i'm gonna go swim in the fucking ocean so i'm just working remotely you know oh yeah and as long as this wi-fi stays this is all over well new york has lost a lot you know we, i was talking to jeff and i've talked to a few djs about this and so, you know jeff is a 10-year like had a re like record label for 10 years in new york and now he's in la and moving the record label out there. You know, you didn't come to New York, like you came to LA. All that stuff that you're talking about, what I'm hearing is like, oh, that's the shit that used to be in New York, you know? Like that queer community and those kinds of connections. And it's not anymore. Cause uh, like Dorian Electra can't find a share house in New York. Like period, it just doesn't exist anymore. It doesn't exist, right. But really I'm curious to see what happens to New York after this pandemic. I mean, surely it'll be building from the ground up all over again. In many ways, definitely. I think it was already moving toward a crash um, yeah. because it uh, it can't sustain itself. Like, I just give like a really, uh, just a really simple example of like, there's a cool bar 
people want to live near that cool bar. So a real estate developer eventually buys the, you know, bodega down the street, turns it into a high rise, sells all the units in the high rise. But those people who buy them are just buying them as investments. They don't actually live there. So the few people who do live there are not the right crowd for the bar. So the crowd, so, so the bar becomes populated by a few, a little bit of the wrong people and otherwise just a lot of space taken up and, you know, by like this, a new big building that like nobody patronizes the bar anymore. Um, so you're killing the vibe. You're, you're killing the value that made it cool. And you're not bringing in even cheesy patrons to keep the economics yeah. going. And eventually that dies. So, I mean, that's like, of course, like a super, super microcosm version, but like, that's what it is, you know? So they're selling it to like Russians or Chinese, you know, they're selling these apartments to people who are not actually like living there. It's not like you're opening, you know, it's not like you have a cool bar and you're putting a high rise building in it. And all of a sudden there's all these new people coming into the cool bar. It's not like that. That's not what happened. It's not like, Oh, New York is changing. It's just, there's no one replacing it. So, um, it's become this thing where it just like all everything flattened and everyone hears about everything at the same time and ticket culture changed everything such that like, there's no point in having a scene because you can't operate anything. You can't make any money. You can't do a sustainable business like in music without ticket culture, but you can't do anything worth doing with ticket culture because your room is filled with whoever buys tickets you can't like control it. So some bro buys a ticket for $35. Dorian Electra and the 12 roommates, like they're not at that party, but that's who you want at that party to have something to make something, you know, you want to connect with Dorian Electra and the 12 roommates. Those are the people that you want to hang out with, but they're not paying $35 on Eventbrite three weeks in advance to be at the DJ night. Like they're not doing that. That's not how people live. Cool people. But the person throwing that event can't throw the event with Dorian Electra and those people not paying for a ticket. It just won't exist because the person doing the real estate is pricing them out of the places they would otherwise have access to. So then everyone goes away. Going in New York, did you predominantly throw free parties? I mean, everything was different. Uh, I stopped, I left in 2014, the end of 2014, and I moved to LA. And then I, six months later, was working at Apple. Um, but I, I was different. I had, first of all, the time was different. So we're talking about, you know, first half of the decade. Um, and I was also different. Uh, part one was I was from New York City and I was networked. You know, I was like, when I started DJing regularly, it was turnkey. It was just, I was already out. I already knew everybody. And then it was just, Sean's going to DJ now. And then by the time I became a good DJ, like it was, it was just, it, it just meant that I could do it. I could go anywhere now. But even when I was a shitty DJ, I was like, I, I just, I never had, it, I never had a problem. Um, so I, I got paid $300 a night for my first thing ever. And I never made, I never had to go back from that. 
So I was, I was good forever. And I had $300 a night, two, three nights a week from the jump. And then I got $1,500 a night, two months in, like, because I was in the scene and I didn't need to throw my own parties for a while because I could just get paid to go to clubs and, and club culture was different. There were cool clubs at the time. Like there were doors and stuff like that. It wasn't ticket culture yet. That didn't have, there was no, the DJ wasn't the center of attention. So I was valuable because I was just like a scene guy. I was just cool. And people, so I would just like, I could open a new club and I would be part of kind of the narrative of like the club opening. Like they have the cool guy. Like I was like, like Mark Ronson. I wasn't as cool as Mark Ronson, but I was like a less cool version of what Mark Ronson was before he became a big producer. See little piggy tails and your overalls. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that was when I, that was later. That was later. I wasn't that crazy at first. At first I was like, I was cheesy. I was like, I had short hair and shit, but no, but, but like later I became a monster. Yeah. I like, I, I went to of yours. Yeah. What'd you Actually, come to? party I went to of yours I don't know was in Brooklyn. yeah well and, I, I, at a point I started throwing huge parties yeah I was so it was my first time in America uh-huh. I was in a folk band with my sister okay Hazel and, yeah Hazel and I remember I mean parties like that didn't exist in Australia and we were like walking what was the party wait tell me everything it was like it was kind of in the middle of nowhere in of Brooklyn. Yeah. Um, we walked in. I can't tell you that much because all I know is that we were like messaging you being like, how do we get into this party? You gave us a password or something. And we turned up and it was like all beige. Like there was like almost like a podium. There was a bar and then there was a podium with like hot people on it. And like strippery types or, or what? Maybe not strippers, just like I would have thought it was just hot women from the party who decided they were hot enough to stand. Oh, totally possible. <laughs> Most likely, yeah. Yeah. And you were DJing. You had piggy tails in. You had uh-huh. short hair, but you had piggy tails in. Okay. Um and I it was hilarious. The place was filled with smoke. It was really fancy. And I just remember thinking like this must be what like rappers parties are like. Seeing <laughs> 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 this young Australian girl who's like never experienced anything in this life. I was like, I kind of feel like a rapper right now. That's funny. I wish, I wish like, rappers are always cooler. Cause we were so, we were just so out of place. And I remember trying to get a drink at the bar and like people were just like pushing past me. I just couldn't, I just couldn't, be visible you know That's i was like funny. Get there and i wonder I which like, night it was when i'm moving my light um i, I wonder which it was i love i loved that i mean that time in my life was really fun uh like yeah so i mean i like i did i did a lot of free stuff to go back to your question, I did a lot of free stuff. Most of it was free because I could balance, like I could do, like it was worth it to throw the coolest party. Sorry? The bar profit would be enough. Uh, Sometimes, sometimes I know I just, I often like my LA party, we just did at cost. Like we just, we made like, 
we usually made like $1,500 costs. I got us a better sound system and we paid out every, and that was it. So Blaze and I just never took any money on that. And I did that a lot in New York too. Um, I, w I just, I wanted to do the best stuff, period. So most of the time, uh, like we, we had big warehouse parties, like 5,000 people, and those were ticketed. Those were like listed and ticketed. Well, they, they weren't always, not from the beginning, but uh, eventually, like once we got like about like 2,500 people, those are like, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a link and it's announced and stuff like that. And there's a D there's DJs. But before that it was super like lo-fi and it was like, might've been ticketed, might not, but like it would have been loose, you know? Uh, but we were always doing things like on the side. So once we got to 2000 people, Tim and I, who was like the main guy who founded like the, the, the group that did that I did most of the big warehouse parties with, I'm not sure if you came like which, version you came to because some of them were like like often i would just get a space like like i was just, i was like the venue guy that was like my thing was i would take over a bathhouse a strip club a dive bar like some random place so people were always that's how i got my apartment in new york people were always just coming to me with like crazy spaces and I was known as like so there was a church there was an old theater with no ceiling like like I was the dude that like, if you called whoever, they were like, you got to talk to Sean Glass. Like he'll figure out how to make this space a party, you know? Yeah. And, and I'll, and I'll make one room into this and I'll, and I'll, I'll just like get super creative with it. So that's like, you know, or, or I would, I would also be the one to convince the owner of some space that I will responsibly like I will do right by that person, you know? I will convince them to let us yeah. access it and like come in with like, cause also I had like record label and I had these things that like they could Google me, you know? So I wasn't like every, you know, club kid. Cause I like, I looked like I also, you know, uh, like I had my like Manhattan voice that I could put on. Uh, so I was yeah. like all crazy with my overalls and shit, but like, they would Google me and they would be like, Oh, this guy's in wall street journal. Like he's weird, but like, I don't know he's doing something. So they would let me. And yeah, I would do some, I would do some weird stuff that way. And often like, I didn't really think about it for money. Um, it wasn't until like, I, I've really done nothing in my life for money. Like now I'm not even now, like now I'm still balancing things like, uh, like this, I don't, you know, make money on obviously. Um, but like, I've always just prided, like do the cool thing. And the money will figure itself out. So, you know, like I made more money in one night than I probably made on all my events ever. Like there was, there was one event that happened where like I sold a thousand tickets up to $150 a person by myself. And like I had no partners and I just did it myself and I paid for the whole thing with the budget, you know, like with the money. Like it just, it just took off. And that was one thing that I did that was just like the amount of money that I that I made that night is more money than like the average club promoter makes in, you know, their, their calendar year. And because I did a bunch of things over and over again that were just fucking awesome. And like, I did right by everybody and I just kept it rolling and everyone would show up to everything that I did for, for a while until I stopped my birthday party, 8,000 people showed up. I didn't make a penny on it. I paid, I spent $15,000 out of my pocket to do an open bar with a four point function one in a Chinese mall. I took over this, this Chinatown mall 
and I brought in the craziest sound system, the craziest, uh, like I brought in like extra lighting so that I could make it super dark. So I brought in like tons of lighting so that I could equalize the room, but also make it super, super dark and haze the fuck out of the whole room. So the, the smoky thing that you said, that was me. What? Can you have another birthday party? Now that I'm back in the world, I will, yeah. I'm fucking, I'll tell you one thing that COVID's done for me, which I thought I was sort of over. Like, I feel like, you know, you burn out after a couple of years in LA and you're like, I don't know if I can like, take any more drugs or like stand in another fucking line for the rest yeah. of my life. And now I'm like, all I want to do is party. <laughs> like I'm back. I'm just okay. like, I need sweaty bodies next to me. I need to think for that I'm, night. I'm that ready it's the best for it. I'm, I'm, I'm like, ready. I'm happy that I removed myself from the world. I disappeared for a while, but like I did it for a reason to get to a place like creatively and I got to that place. And now like, that's why I'm like super confident and happy, like exposing myself for these kinds of conversations, which I wouldn't have had a year ago, but yeah. now like all my work is kind of done and I'm psyched to get it up into the world. And yeah, it is like, I guess we kind of can connect on that, that like I was, you were actually mid campaign. I was like about to start my campaign and I had to hit pause, but yeah, no, I mean, both of us it's, but yeah, I, I would love, like, I thought I'd be touring right now. I thought I would be doing exactly what you just described. I thought I would be back like throwing crazy parties and touring and like in different cities and just like living like the bonkers lifestyle that I have been like super like ascetic and quiet for a while. Yeah. I'm ready for it. I'm so fucking ready. <laughs> what do you think is going to happen? Like when are we going to get back together? I'm hoping that by early 2021, everything's much better. I originally hoped I'd be back in the U S by the end of the year, but I don't think that's going to happen. Sadly. I think that like, in my opinion, the US has to like experience its second wave and right. how fucking tragic that's gonna be. And then things will clear up a little. That's why I, I didn't mean, go home. Oh yeah. I think- Cause that, everyone's like, like, oh, they're reopening. And I'm like, yeah, that's the worst time for me to come back. Yeah. Like fall is gonna be fucked. Yeah. And I'm gonna stay here and start touring here until oh, cool. then. And it's, um, it's safe there or what? Australia's just started opening up. So kids uh -huh. go back to school next week. Whoa. Um, oh yeah. Cause you're winter. Yeah. Kids go back to school and like everything is like slowly easing up. Cases have gone up since we've opened up, but they predict that we've like flattened the curve, whatever the fuck that means <laughs> enough that we should be okay. And so we're just right. like taking it day by day. But you know, like life in Australia is so fucking easy. Like it's boring, but it's it's easy. So What's easy? What 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 makes you say that? The government gives us all money. You know, we get five hundred dollars a week from the government during COVID. Mm -hmm. um, five hundred a week? Yeah. That's awesome. What? That's like a lot of money. That's a lot of money. Yeah. Luckily, there's not many people in Australia, so the government can afford to do it. Wow. Um. So yeah, I'm on unemployment on 500 a week and I'm making music and staying in like a little room in my mother's back garden. Is your whole um, family there or what? 
No, it's just me and my mom, and but my siblings live nearby. Um, cool. And it's an important time for me to be here. You know, my family really mourned me moving and my sister has a little toddler. And so I'm just like fitting in this family time so that I can then live all over the world again. You know, it's pretty chill for me. It's kind it's of annoying. Well, that's kind of, I mean, but, in a way it's like, so you, you know, you took a, you took a, a chapter to get to the place where like you were in quantity artist. Yeah. You know, you're like you say, mourned that process, but then like right before you got like fully swept up, in, you got to go back and hang out with your family one more time. Yeah, I just hope people fucking remember that it existed when the pandemic goes. <laughs> well, you've been working on new stuff, you said, right? I have, yeah. What's been I going have, on with that? I'm ready to release it. Um, Don't say anything that's I, like, you know, secret, but. No, I just, I feel like I got, by the time I finished my last album, I was getting into sort of like a new area with how I wanted to play music like much more guitars like a lot more like emo inspired stuff been really enjoying making like emo music and by emo I don't just mean like sad I mean like literally like blink 182 type vibes <laughs> I think count um, on you has a little bit of that yeah you can hear through it you're like wait a minute she's power chords she on the chorus you know yeah. yeah I'm slowly getting into checkered van territory you know cool so okay. i've just been writing i've been paramore needs a like, new lead singer <laughs> exactly <laughs> the whole thing for me is like i don't want a plan b and like a lot of people oh, are like maybe yeah. you should go back to me like maybe you should what, what they're saying else. that's you now yeah people here are literally like go back to study like the pandemic's killed the music what? industry oh I mean, i'm like no. nah I'm all in. I don't care if I have to live. Yeah, I don't care if I have to like live in a like really shitty shoebox of an apartment with twelve people for the rest of my life. Like, this is what I want to do. So I'm, I'm just on like, the. I'm gonna make stuff as best I can and figure out the money. You know, like as I can figure out the money, and that's it. And you know, period. That's my. I think a lot of, yeah, I think a lot of other careers do that as well, and people don't notice. You know, like a lot of people who work in um, social welfare and a lot of things that don't pay very well, they're happy to do it because they love their job. And I think that art is no different. And I'm just like kind of ready to take this pandemic on and be like, you know what? Fuck you. Like. <laughs> well, you gotta have. I mean, you're in a different place. Like. It, it's got to be, I imagine, challenging financially and sort of like audience wise, like you just had your, you know, like you and I, like I just started this podcast. I'm not doing any marketing on it yet. I'm going to do the marketing later, but I'm just on the like, let me make it good. And then like, because like marketing to an audience right now is stupid. Just like, like doing real campaigns, you know, trying to do press and stuff like that is, is dumb. It's like, embarrassing you know like I was, I was talking about this with jeff and i had a friend reach out who's an artist who like asked me to get him into fader and i was like dude like what like like right now like why 
Like, who do you think's like reading Fader for like what's new premiere remix today? Like, like, like he had whatever. Uh, you know, I know you know her, and she's great. But like, you know, and and she's just you know she's working. But like Nancy Lou sent the press release, and it's like. <sighs> Like, who's, like, really reading Nancy's press releases today? I love Nancy, and she's fucking great. But, like, you know, this is this is ludicrous. Yeah, no one gives a shit about who remixed the new Blah Blah single on, like, fucking whatever music blog. That's not where we're at today, you know? So, like, I'm just making shit, and, like, we're going to figure art out in the near future, and I'm just like full speed ahead on it. And I don't know where it's going to go. And I'm okay with that. Cause you know, like you said, I'm all in, but what you have, so, you know, no money, no access to audience, but you've got all the right people, you know, like that's what you gained this year. So I don't think it matters really like who fans wise, like you have fans, but like I wouldn't even think about it. I would just think about, you know, like for me, I have like my, this show that I'm doing, like I'm putting like all of like, I just think about like, what are the stories that I want to tell? Like, who are the people who have stories that I want to like get into? Who are, who do I want to connect one-on-one with? Like I have all, I have access to everyone. Like I'm, I'm going through like my dream team of people. Like there's some episodes coming up that are like, people who like never do fucking podcasts, you know, and like they're doing it with me because like they know what I'm after here. And like, I, I just, it doesn't really matter. So, so like with you, you know, you, you're talking about, you know, Hayden and Sophie and Charlie and Caroline and like, they're going to, you know, AG, like when all, when the things happen again, when we figure things out, they're going to be there. And you're going to be there. And that's all that really matters. Like, who else is going to be there? It's not like, you know, the world's going to have concerts again. Like, it's going to happen somehow. And you're going to get booked for them. Because you are in the front as an artist. Yeah. So I don't, I don't really, you know, just you need to keep doing what you're doing. Because you, 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 you had it figured out. You, have, you didn't have it. No, you have crossed the threshold of figuring out, you know, how to speak as an artist and you just need to keep doing it and people are going to consume art and you're going to be at the front of it. Thanks, babe. That's the only way to think about it. I think it is. It is the only way to think about it. And that keeps me going. I mean, I literally have like this cute as fuck, like small room and we're not really supposed to leave that much, but I have a bunch of equipment in here and like, what better time? So what are you doing? To work sessions and stuff? Yeah, I've started like, I'm doing a lot of collaborations online. Mm-hmm. Um, and also just writing a bunch, you know, yeah. and I don't know whether I'll use it or not, but I think the best way to a good song is a bad song, you know? So I just oh, okay. keep writing. You just got to okay. write so many shit songs before you write a good one. Okay. It's like if you get all your baskets in before you play a basketball game. I don't know if you ever played basketball, but if I got my shots in when I was growing up, I would Uh know I was going to have a bad game. Funny. I'd have a terrible game. You have to miss them all. Well, you know what Kobe Bryant would say? Did did you hear this part? No. Whenever Kobe would miss, he he would keep shooting. He he said, even when I go cold, I'm going to keep shooting because I know that at the end of the year, I'm going to shoot 50%. 
So if I miss 10, I know that I have 10 makes in my future. So I'm just going to keep shooting because they're coming. That's a good quiet. That's Kobe. That's I'm, you know, I'm paraphrasing, obviously. But yeah, but, yeah, but that, right, that, that's so, that goes to it. Like, you're going to, like, there's going to be music. People are going to consume it. There's going to be live shows. People are going to be there. Who's going to be playing? You. Who else? Me. You. Yeah. Yeah. But that, that's I'm what's going to happen. I'm feeling really fucking positive because also just like philosophically, all the things that this like quarantine needed, uh, like all the um, ideological places we need to get internally in order to move forward. Like I got there a while ago. I removed myself from the world a while ago. I've been prepping for this for a long time. I've been in this groove of like getting rid of all that stuff that's not important, that industry stuff, you know, that that consolidated like whatever marketing shit, like I got rid of it a while ago and that's not going to work anymore. So I am, you know, I, I flipped my creativity process in the last few years from this like framework, I'd say the events were fucking great. And everything else that I did, like my, my events were like, when I produced parties, they were the best in the world. But everything else that I did was solid enough for me to be incredible at getting the word out. I was just really good at getting things out there. And my music that I made, like the records that I signed were really good, but it wasn't like, it was more that I was great at marketing and I understood the system incredible, like with it, with a rare effect. And I don't care about any of that anymore. And now I want the work to be exceptional and I don't give a fuck what the marketing is because I don't think that works anymore. And that worked out well for where I went energetically because I just wanted to go make the art now. Yeah, and while I, I did that, I realized, oh, time. marketing's broken. It is broken. I think we're in an exciting time where the market is so oversaturated that yeah. the only thing that you notice is you have to be so fucking good. Like the work has to speak for itself and then it will. And mm -hmm. if anyone disagrees with that, like they just haven't made good enough work yet. And I don't think it's, I'm obviously this privilege that, um, twine, like, is intertwined in that but only a small part of it your privilege can only get you so far in the art world it used to get you a lot further and now your art just has to be fucking good yeah if it's not then bye caroline made the record of her career and she became like a different she was beforehand she was like someone oh yeah she she wrote that thing oh yeah she's that band cool she was like kind of people knew who she was and then she became like an industry household name this year because the record that she made was three notches above anything she had done beforehand. I mean, it was so, so, so good. And yeah, that and was she's it. had the amount of press in her that she's always had since, you know, since the starting days of chairlift. So it was nothing to do with her having this sort of upper hand of 
the world knowing who she was because mm-hmm. otherwise she would have been a household name years ago it was the record and how fucking good it was she had not made you know so hot you're hurting my feelings yet and that was it it was just she needed to make that song it's just it's transcendent yeah see me <laughs> no i'll put the video up eventually i'll put the audio up first and then i'll put the video up at some point they'll see but yeah, I mean, So Hot You're Hurting My Feelings is just like, like, like your record is, if, if, you, if you, you know, put it on the timeline, is like you made your like relevance record. Like you're part of the conversation now. I don't think you made your transcendent record yet though. But you made your record that's like, your record is, is, is I love it. Like I listened to it just now before we were on the phone and I was listening and I was like, you know what, like this is actually like, I remember listening before and I think I, I had yet to separate my knowing you and I was listening like knowing you and I couldn't decide if it was like just like if it sound if it had the right sounds and stuff and I knew you or if like I liked it and then I listened just now and I found myself just like nodding and like like I was like get I I listened more passively and uh like unconsciously and, and I realized, Oh no, like I get, I hear it just for music and uh, it's a very good record. And I, it's funny that it took me until like an hour ago to, to figure out how I really felt about it. But I would say you made your record that puts you in the Caroline conversation. Like there's a Caroline festival, Charlie XCX festival, and you're, you know, playing right before them. And Caroline is ahead of you because she has made So Hot You're Hurting My Feelings, which is just like, you know, holy fucking shit. And, uh, and then uh, what's the it once called? Once in a Lifetime. Once in a Lifetime record. Well, there's two this year. There's, there's that and there's what's his name. Uh, there's, not, uh, there's Gone. There's Gone? Gone. Charlie and, uh, Wait, and Christine. Oh, oh, the track, yeah. Yeah, Shit. those are the two. Like, yeah. So hot, you're hurting my feelings, two. and gone are just like, oh my God. <laughs> I played them on repeat for. I I need to put them on after this. Like, the dancing. Oh my I feel God. Like is like everyone's life goal. Like uh-huh. she's just above and beyond. So cool. Work Even that recent EP was incredible. But like, you're gonna make that next. I'm sorry. That's what you're going to do. You're going to make door and so how you're hurting my feelings and all that. Open the door to another door. It's a really Every good song. Every time Caroline came over after that um, record, yeah. I would go like peep in and out of the door. <laughs> <laughs> She's never going to live down that soundtrack. Um, it's so cool how she really like, like it's a, it's a fucking great pop record. It's so good. It's so brilliantly made. It's so emotional yet so catchy, which is really hard to do. It's a lot of that is is Danny Harles. Um, oh hell yeah! Oh my god! All the East London AG oh. Danny like they they're amazing. If you don't already, I'm sure you do. But um, Danny has an amazing playlist on Spotify called Huge Danny. Okay. Um, I don't know if I've listened. So good. A lot of the music is like old classical stuff, like in a cool. lot of like interesting, like string arrangements from Russia and like 
you'll just find like the most interesting stuff on there. I put it on like every day and there's just something new and bizarre. He has a great like wealth of knowledge in terms of music and it definitely. I've had a few so, really cool, like we've had a few like nerd out conversations. Yeah, he's cool. And AG, I like, I love his chords that are like all the beds of all of his, like all his risers and chords and stuff. Like I, I, I ripped uh, one of them on one of my songs on my album. I think I told him, but oh. cause we, we, we just had it. Like it, like my engineer was his engineer, I think. So we had it, like we had this, we had the whole thing, like the whole record. And yeah. I was, I was referencing it. And at one point, like I was like trying to get the sound from like, like a similar sound from it doesn't, you wouldn't, you would never know. It's sort of like um, the yeah. mob deep record sampling Herbie Hancock where like you have to do like seven steps yeah. backwards to eventually realize it. And then like, maybe you'll hear it. But uh, the origin of it yeah. is just, there's two chords from an AG cook track, like an obscure one, but I, but it was the one for me. And I was just like, these risers are just so fucking perfect. And finally, we're in the studio. And it, I didn't even say it. He said it. He's like, yo, I have them. Let me just like, <laughs> let me just throw them in. And we like fucked with them for like a full day. But they're, it's them. And they're distorted like crazy. You could never tell. But um, yeah, it's just AG's risers. And they're fucking great. Those guys are like, they're awesome. The god of the riser. <laughs> the risers are epic epic risers. yeah like the whole song is like is built from that but you don't realize it you don't realize i'll play it for you yeah. i've got to love you and leave you I've i appreciate to, you so much this house i've been house sitting oh yeah <laughs> um, nightmare so fucking nice to talk to you so good to catch up Definitely Somewhere. by 2021. Somewhere. If not, we'll, we'll, uh, you could FaceTime me from the beach one day. Yeah, please, um, if you feel like it, you know, you could always send me some of those tracks that were supposed to come out. Mine? Yes. Oh, yeah. I mean, no problem. Of course. <laughs> yes. Easy. <laughs> oh, no. I'm going to put stuff out soon. Uh, my, my LP, I'm not going to, I'm not sure. I'm going to wait until like the world kind of adjusts, but I'm, I have um, probably five that like, I'm going to put out like soon, like, like I'm finishing the first one now and uh, it's going to be, I think like three track EP, like one, two, three, and then, and then I'll put two more out after that. But yeah, I'm going to, I'll send you shit. Amazing. Please do. All right, All right, I'm going to love awesome. you and leave you. I, I really appreciate you, and uh, I can't wait to see what happens next. Me too. Say hi to your sister. I will. Mwah. All right, Bye, thanks Shamar. again. See you soon. Bye.